Welcome to the Max Out Show, where I'm on a mission to help you unleash your full potential. I'm joined today by Linda Carroll, a therapist and couples coach with over three decades of experience. Linda is the author of Love Skills, and that's exactly what we'll talk about today. How to develop love skills, whether you're in a relationship, looking for one, or you want to just improve your friendships and the relationships with family. This is really about any relationship in your life that you want to take your to the next level in your life. So Linda, welcome to the show. Now Linda, we, we've been joking before um, that that this is obviously, um, we're recording this end of March right now, a very, very interesting time and in that people right now, when it comes to their relationships are just deserted islands, either completely alone or with their partner, you know, just bundled together with their kids and this, the tiny four walls, they can't escape anymore. At least here in, you know, everywhere in Europe around me, right? Italy, France, Spain, people are actually locked inside. They can't get out anymore. And so we've been joking, you know, either there's going to be a lot of kids in nine months or a lot of divorces. <laughs> so, so can you talk to us a little bit about the, the challenge that people are facing right now with this pandemic coming in, you know, people really being locked in and forced to actually see their families for the first time ever for like 24 hours straight every single day. Yeah. Well, I, I just sent out a newsletter and in it, I said, when I fell in love with my husband 35 years ago, I wanted nothing more than to be on a desert island with him. And I remember saying that to him, if we could just be on a desert island, just the two of us, well, now we are. And the <laughs> quarantine has put us all on a desert island with each other. And in, and one of the things I talk about in love skills is that the very things we fall in love with, which are different than ourselves. We, we fall in love with our partner because they're not us. They're not a clone. Those qualities come back later and drive us crazy. And when we're under, when we're on our desert island or our quarantine, they become exaggerated. So for example, I want to see the news all the time. My partner, he, he reads a newspaper every day. And that's it. He wants to read a book, go for a bike ride. I want to talk about it all the time. He does not want to talk about it all the time. I have always been, we've always had a struggle about how he, so we say, organizes things. And I, I, I feel I've always been sort of germ phobic and he's a veterinarian. He knows germs are real, but he doesn't, he doesn't take it as far as I want him to. So he comes in from a bike ride. I want him to take all his clothes off. Actually, I want him to wear a shower outside, like <laughs> top to bottom when he goes out. But right, he. I want him to take off all his clothes, take rubber gloves, put them in the washing machine. He thinks that's ridiculous, and those are the kinds of things people are are writing to me all the time about. How do we manage when we're under stress? Everything gets exaggerated, and this is very stressful. For some people, they become very um, academic about it. They want the facts. They don't have a lot of feeling. Often they're with a partner who's scared. And if one person's scaring, scared feelings, if what that does is it um, triggers the other person's... Um, well, let, let's, let me say this a different way. For some people, we go to our, our head. We just want facts and other people, we go to our feelings. And if those get exaggerated, the 
head person can get people have a lot of feelings and people who feel a lot have a lot of thinking but we can get polarized and so in relationships often one person has a the flag in the sand for feelings the other for thinking and that can work really well when we're not under stress but when we're under stress things get more and more exaggerated for one person they work well under structure so they want a day that's full of structure their partner may well have the that the, what they want is unstructured they like to be spontaneous so i think that the skills the love skills are more important than ever a long time ago i it, i realized that what couples lacked was not love they lacked skills to manage life under stress and now we're in the most stressful time that some of us have ever or will ever experience so those skills are so important yeah you know this, this is such an important insight for people i think to take away from this that this is i mean first of all of course a very hard time and probably everyone's felt that but that just becoming aware that this is a general phenomenon that everybody right now is facing that it's not necessarily a relationship problem quote unquote but it's more problem really in terms of this is in a very extreme situation that hopefully will not happen again anytime soon and that's you know right not making choices right now or not you know saying that thing or not getting in certain arguments right now just simply because of the situation may be a good idea um but before we talk really specifically about some of those love skills and what people can take away and take to the relationship um and really start applying i first want to take a step back here um, because in your book you share this beautiful story about sister Jermaine and looking on the inside first when it comes to love and i think this is a great place to start before we dive into those sort of external skills of dealing with other people uh it's so funny someone just sent me a picture of her and what was that like 60 years ago and <laughs> who didn't even know i wrote a book about her but i was a little catholic school girl in san francisco and i was in the seventh grade seventh or eighth grade and i had my ideas about love and this is really the origin of my work my life work which is working with couples and and working and understanding this mystery of relationship i had seen movies um and those and those early movies of the 50s were very much about finding the one and and when you found the one in parentheses that your whole life opened and you would go off into the sunset most of the movies in the 50s and 60s ended with two lovers finding each other there would be some kind of trouble and then they'd overcome it they'd go off in the sunset and the curtain would drop mm. and when i was i was 11 i met a boy and i had such a um i had such a chemical reaction to him that i don't know most most of us have seen the godfather the movie and in that scene where michael corleone meets the woman in sicily and his friend and the whole his whole body alters it changes and the person who's with him said you got hit by the thunderbolt <laughs> and we know now that the thunderbolt is a chemical reaction and a biological reaction uh, it that happens in our brain that it's like the 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 goddess of love aphrodite her son cupid carried around arrows with a magic potion called the love potion that story goes back generations 
And when Aphrodite would see an unsuspecting person, she would nudge her son, Cupid, and say, get that person. He dipped the arrow in the love potion, aim it at somebody. And when that somebody got struck with the arrow, their whole body would go into a reaction. And they would say, I am in love and follow that person into outer space. Well, I got hit with that chemical potion at 11 and I had no idea what it was. I just became obsessed with this boy and I became so obsessed with him that I thought about him night and day. And I remember, and I feel like my whole career has been trying to understand that moment in my life. Um, and, and I remember writing a paper in the eighth grade about love. And we were writing about actually the gold miners and the ones that came looking for gold and in, in, the, in the gold rush, in that craziness of trying to find the gold, people would easily die. And most of the people that found the gold would spend it. But once in a while, somebody found the gold and they were able to keep it. And my paper that I wrote was, love is like the gold. And that when we find that gold of true love, when we find, quote, the one, then it makes everything worthwhile. And Sister Germaine wrote back on the paper and she said, Linda, the gold you're looking for is not in somebody else. It's inside of you. And I remember my friends and I laughed at her. And we thought, what could an old nun who knows nothing about love understand about this feeling we have for these boys that we love. And I went, so I um, had this, it was a tortured relationship. My love, my first love had a special name for me. And I, and I still won't tell anybody what it is. Um, but then I found out he had a special name for my best friend. <laughs> oh. And, and this love, this relationship was, was tormented. And I, so I moved on after a long, a long and painful time. And I found another one who could be the one. And I went from quote, the one to the next one for many years. And thinking that what I was looking for was in this other person. And finally, after some disastrous relationships and after feeling like there would be just the next person waiting who would help me feel whole, I got into therapy, which is part of why I became a therapist. And one day my therapist said to me, this is like 25 years later, Linda, the one year, I said, where is the one? And my therapist said to me, Linda, the one you're looking for is inside of you. And it took me all those years, Max, to get it, that what Sister Germaine told me was true, that what I was looking for was my own wholeness, that nobody could make me whole. And that changed everything in my life, including the kind of person that I ended up with and have been with for 35 years. So I, I feel like my, my work, although I've studied with great teachers and I've done lots and lots of training. I have lots of degrees. My real work has been my own journey from trying to seek the love outside myself that would fulfill me to finding out that I had to be a whole person before I could even select an appropriate partner. So that's a very long explanation of looking for the one. 
You know, Linda, I absolutely love that story. It's just so important to fall in love with yourself first. I think it's, it's one of the most important things you can ever learn in your life. And what's really fascinating to me is that, you know, most of the people I talked to on this podcast, they became experts. They became great at a certain skill most of the time because at some point in the past, when they were younger, they were horrible at it. They sucked at it. They failed at it. They had some kind of trauma or pain in that area of their lives. And so then they began to master that area. And it seems like that's really what you did. You, you realized, hey, I'm, I may not be good at relationships or picking the right partners or whatever it is. So now I'm going to study it and become great at it. And so now that you're able yeah. to share all those experiences and the pain also and, and help other people master this area of your life. So that's something that I always find really fascinating. But yeah. one of the things that, that you've mentioned before is this, this rush of hormones that we, we experience when we meet someone for the first time, right? And we're starting to fall in love. And this is already the first stage of the love cycle that you talk about. So can you share with us a little bit about you know, how this rush of hormones over time that evolves into wholehearted living in a relationship? Sure. Um, and the stages, the love cycles that I talk about uh, are really not something I made up. I mean, they come from so many different sources about understanding that we go through these stages. I've, I've devised them in my own particular way, but I've got to say that my work, all of it stands on other people's shoulders. And actually, I think something so fascinating is that the, the love cycles, and I'll, I'll tell you what, what they are, but they very much follow our beginning experience as an infant. When we are first born, and if we're lucky enough to be with usually our mother as our primary caretaker in that beginning, and, and now more and more the father, which is great. But let's just talk about our relationship with our mother in that first beginning stage. We don't have an ego developed. We don't have a sense of separate self. And that first stage I call the merge. And if you think about if you've been around babies or had a baby, what we do in that stage is we look at each other. The, we, look at our, we look at our mother, she looks at us, and there's no difference between she or I. We are one, we are merged. And that is what we do when we fall in love. We have a sense that the boundary breaks down between ourselves and the other person. There's just one being, and we feel like we have found our other half, we're complete. And in that merge, now what we know is that if you look at the brain chemistry of people who are in the first stage of love, what you find is they're loaded with the, the chemical oxytocin. Oxytocin is the cuddle chemical. It's the chemical that makes us want to smell and taste and touch. It's what we have in mother's milk when we're nursing a baby. It, and when we are in love, our oxytocin is running through our body and our, the body of our of our lover and all we want to do is feel that other person and smell them and taste them and stroke them and we want to be in their presence to do that all the time there's a drug called epinephrine and that drug it, and serotonin uh, well i'll talk about the first one um is it's the drug of when we feel a lot of it along with the chemical of dopamine, we become obsessed with being with the other person. We are feeling high in their presence. It's what happens when people are gambling, for example. In fact, in the research, when they've studied brain changes, 
And this is um, the woman who's done this the most is Helen Fisher. In studying the brain changes of people in love, the part of the brain that lights up when they think of their lover is the same part of the brain that lights up with cocaine, marijuana, and gambling. How's that? Wow. Isn't that fascinating? So we are obsessed with the other person because we are feeling this rush of endorphins when we're around them so that the body is in it fully. And what happens is just like the, at about, about six months, the baby starts to become its own being. And at two, we call that the terrible twos, the power struggles come because the infant has now grown into its own separate self and it and starts to push away and say, you're not me. You're not me and I'm not you and you're not the boss of me. And this is what we call the second stage, the power struggle, where we start to get sick of the idea of us and we want to get our own space and we want our friends back and we miss what our life was. And we start to, the things that drew us together, um, for example, one of the things I fell in love with, with my partner, is that he is incredibly predictable. You know, if he says seven o'clock, he's there at seven o'clock. He does what he says he's going to do. And what he fell in love with me over was what he called my wonderful, spontaneous nature. I would just say, let's go to the Grand Canyon tomorrow. And <laughs> if we could do it, he, he, it's so, it was so different than him. Or I would say, let's go to a different restaurant than we planned. And he loved that about me. And I remember one day when we were going to go away for the weekend, we were going to a town called Bend, Oregon, which is known for its sunshine. And we had rented a cabin. And as we were driving there, there were rainstorms everywhere, cloudbursts. And I said, you know what? And we've been together now three years. So the chemicals had worn off. I said, it's raining. Let's go to this. Let's go to Portland. Let's get a hotel, cancel our reservations. We'll go to movies. We'll go to restaurants. I don't want to be there in the rain. And he said, but we've made a plan to go to Bend. And we've said we were going to go there forever. That's where we need to go. And I said, you're so rigid. And he said, you're so impulsive. So <laughs> here we were, the very qualities we fell in love with. This was the other side. The other side of spontaneity is impulsivity. The other side of predictability is rigidity. And suddenly we were tuned in to the part that bothered us about the very things we fell in love with. Does that make sense? That's the power struggle. Your, this power struggle is you're not me. I'm not you. Um, this third stage is that if we get stuck in so long, that place where we were enchanted, we become disenchanted. If we don't know how to navigate, and this is where we need big love skills. If we don't have the skills to navigate the difference, we become polarized in them. We move into what I call loops. And loops are where we have the same argument over and over about the same thing. And when we are stressed in our relationship, what happens is one person becomes, goes into a stress, stress style of fight. The other may go into a stress style of flight, F-L-I-G-H-T. So let's say that I have a vulnerability around feeling disconnected. 
And when I get disconnect, when my, I feel like my partner is pulling away, my stress style kicks in and I go after him, uh, not physically, but emotionally. And let's say that when he, that he has a stress style of feeling criticized, and when he feels criticized, he goes into withdrawal. So I say, let's, let's talk, and he says, not now. That's a perfectly understandable interaction. I say, I wanna be close, he says, too much, I wanna read a book. But if I am triggered and we go into a loop, if he says, not now, I may feel abandoned, at which point I become critical and say, you're always pulling away, all those things we should never say, like always. Or, you know, we just had such a great walk. What's wrong? Why are you, why are you off doing something different? Let's keep on being together. He now is in withdrawal, and he says, we've been together. It's enough. I need some time alone. I say, wait a minute, what do you mean you need time alone? You're always needing time alone. He hears always and feels criticized. He withdraws more. I feel more abandoned. I become more critical. He goes into stonewalling, and that is a loop or a power struggle. And that's where I work with couples with helping them see those power struggles. Because those power struggles, if they get locked into place, we go into what I call lockdown. What happens next is we go into stage three, where we are so disillusioned, we can get frozen in those styles, where one person is totally critical so much of the time, and the other person is pulled away and withdrawn. And that's where hard moves, that's stage three, that's where hard moves happen in the relationship. It's where affairs happen, or people, they just chill each other out, or they start to doubt everything they ever loved about each other. And they start, start stop sharing. Um, that's where sex often stops. They don't wanna be close, or they start to reject each other sexually. And, and it's where really hard, painful co communication happens, the kind of communication, communication when we're under deep stress. And at that point, people want to get out. They want to get out of the pain. Sometimes they want to get out of the relationship. And so I talk about stage four as a decision. We either stay in this, we hurt each other, or we're closed out, or we move into parallel lives where we live together but intimacy gets lost. Or we say, what are the skills we need to change this? And sometimes I see people who are feeling like they want out of the relationship. And I suggest that they learn the skills because sometimes what they want out of is the pain, not the relationship. So at, at this point, if people are willing to really learn to understand their loops, their own dynamics, what the skills are that make this work, even when we're different. It's with skill that we can manage those differences that often they move into the fifth stage, which I call wholehearted. And wholehearted is really where we know that this all comes from, that I can make the changes in myself that can make my relationship often better and sometimes tolerable. But, it, but my wholeness comes from me, not from the other person. So, and we don't stay in those stages. I mean, in wholehearted, it's like a, a enlightenment or it's like you climb up to the top of the mountain, you can see forever. You forget it, but you know how to get back there. 
So those are the five stages and the love skills are the keys to unlocking that wholehearted love so we can be in that so much of the time. It doesn't mean people around us change. Sometimes they don't, but we don't have to stay in pain over their lack of changing and often they do change. You know, there's so many interesting things that I really want to dive deeper. But before we really take a look at some specific love skills that our listeners can, can start applying in their lives, I first want to go back to, to stage four, that decision phase. Because I think this is such a critical decision that we have to make. It's like, should I stay in this relationship or should I leave? So do you have any advice for people on how to handle this, you know, very emotional decision of, you know, I'm, I'm in this relationship, I'm feeling the pain, I don't know if it's the right partner. Do you have any you know, questions, any guidelines for people, any advice on how to make that difficult call in their lives? Yeah, you know, I write a lot of blogs. Besides the my two books, I write a lot of, of blogs um, about, and I read a lot of blogs. And many of, the to- many of the topics are, when is it time to leave a relationship? And honestly, I'm sort of appalled at some of what I read, not all, of course, but where people talk about the natural things that happen in a long-term relationship, like being bored, feeling angry a lot, feeling like you're turned off sexually. Those things are not necessarily a sign the relationship is over at all. Those, those things are a sign that you're stuck in stage four, stage three, that, there is, that you're in a very natural stage of disillusionment. And that stage of disillusionment we can move out of. So my advice to people in that fourth stage is do the work, learn the skills, practice the skills. Of course, there are situations you've got to leave a relationship. You know, if if you're in danger, if your partner is abusive, um, there's, there's, or doing things that are putting you in danger a lot. Those, Those are the kinds of things that love skills don't fix. You've just got to move on. But when you're feeling annoyed, disconnected, disappointed, Often that can change and what people really want out of is the pain or the struggle. And when they're able to learn the skills that get them out of the pain and the struggle, the, the, all the good things we fell in love with come back again. We suddenly remember, oh, I, I, remember, I remember one time my partner and I, I remember him saying to me, there you are, where have you been? I haven't seen you for months. And it was really that I was suddenly present, listening, making contact, eye to eye, open. And I had been closed down for months. And so sometimes what happens is we're just missing that person. But for many of us, those, those initial things we fell in love with are still there. Not always. Sometimes we select poorly. That's a different topic. But, but but a lot of the time, if, if we can learn the skills to re-explore, to listen, to learn how to talk about what we need without criticizing, that all that good, juicy stuff comes pouring back in. Yeah, absolutely love that. Now, let's talk about love skills. And of course, these really depend on, I guess, the, the personal situation and what you're trying to do. But what are some, some of the you know, most basic or most important love skills that you think anybody should develop in their lives okay number one know yourself first most important skill know yourself know where you get triggered know what it is that if you are particularly defensive or sensitive to feeling abandoned 
those things, we all have a history. We bring that history into our relationship. And often our partner pushes the button that's the very thing that's the worst. So for me, for example, I have a real trigger, I call it, of vulnerability about feeling abandoned. And if my partner says I'm going for a bike ride, to me that can sound like, I don't love you. For him, now I know that about myself, so I manage it. Um, for him, he has, uh, he doesn't, abandonment isn't his issue, but criticism is. And if I say, honey, you forgot the spinach, he can actually feel like I'm saying to him, you're the worst person in the world. So knowing that about ourselves and learning to manage our own trigger is number one. That's A. Number two, realizing that we have to make ourselves whole. I have to do the things that feed my soul. And they are maybe different than what he has to do to feed himself. I'm responsible for my well-being. And certainly he can make me, he can say things or be hurtful. And, you know, I don't believe that somebody else can't make us feel bad. Of course they can. But I'm the person that has to pull myself back into myself and do those things that nurture me. And if going for a walk nurtures me and not him, I can't make him responsible for that. I've got to find someone else to walk with. So those are the first skills. They have to do with self-care and knowing myself. The, another skill is really learning. And I have these, I call them mindful communication, the big five. One of those skills is the skills of really learning how to listen. And I spend a lot of time, I work a lot online with couples um, virtually as well as I used to work in person, but now it's all online. But helping people understand what listening really is, because most of us don't have any idea about what listening really is. And I have a, a I talk about different kinds of listening in the book and, and one of, and what deep listening is, real true deep listening is where I put aside my story, my internal dialogue, and I listen to really see who you are. One of the things that happens in long-term relationships, not just with our partner, with our mothers, with our fathers, with our brothers, is we think we know the other person. And I um, remember that my mother had a story she would tell. And it was the story about how she lived for a time when she was 18 or 19 and she didn't have any money and she didn't have a coat. And she would go on and on about the story about the coat. And my brother and I would roll our eyes at each other like, there she goes about the coat. And when I started to do this work for myself, I realized that I had never really heard the story. I was so turned off when she would say, oh, and I didn't even have a coat, that I would close down. So one day I was on the phone with her and she started talking about the coat. She said, I remember about when I didn't have a coat. And instead of cutting her off, I said, tell me what happened. I really wanna know about that time in your life when you were so young and so poor and you didn't have a coat. And so she told me the whole story and I had never really listened I had to stop my judging mind over and over, but I really tuned into her and I listened to her tell the story. And I said, it sounds so hard and it sounds so painful and you were so young. And I validated her. And guess what, Max? She never talked about it again. <laughs>
really listening wow. to another isn't that something so those are the there's a skill of listening there's a skill about how we speak you know we all have complaints having a complaint is a normal thing about living with another person and it's not that they're bad it's just that we annoy each other and we're all annoying in my opinion because <laughs> i'm pretty intolerant as a person anyway so we're going to make a protest about you know how the other person is with neatness or tidiness too much or too little or you know how they cook leaving the dishes out or taught you know what whatever lots lots of things having the tv too loud blah blah and what mostly we do is we make that protest in as a criticism and so what i teach people to do is how to make a protest in terms of the wish under the protest so for example let's say your partner you really feel like they used to hold your hand all the time they put their arm around you and they don't so if i say to you you never hold my hand anymore you don't ever touch me spontaneously what is that going to do is that going to bring out the part of you that wants to no because it's a criticism but what if i say what if i speak to the wish under the criticism and i say i i really want to touch you i really love holding your hand let's hold hands again i miss you instead of you never talk to me anymore i miss hearing about your day what's different about those two how do they sound different it's a huge difference just in terms of how you frame the 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 need that you have right is is a whole different reaction you're going to get from the other person right because i'm talking about the wish under the complaint rather yeah. than com the complaint and so one of the things we know is how you start a conversation has everything to do with where the conversation goes so if i want to start a conversation about a hard topic i've got to give my partner a moment to manage their own feelings about that so those are some of there's many many love skills i talk about but but those are some of them um all of the qualities about emotional intelligence that's an essential part is managing my own emotional intelligence and learning how to become more emotional intelligent because the great news about emotional intelligence which are these very skills i'm talking about is that we can learn them no matter how old we are we can all become more intelligent emotionally more intelligent in terms of our communication and so i think that that so hopefully i know we're we're we could talk i could talk about this for days but um i'm not but i i think that does that give you a good sense of some of the communication skills yes for sure and and, and you mentioned an important thing here is that all of these skills are learnable, right? You can practice all of the things and actually get better. It doesn't matter if you've been in a relationship for one year now or for 50 years, you can always get better and there's always room for improvement. That's so, right. So one thing I'd love to dive a little bit deeper, we've you know, talked in the beginning of the show about this, this pandemic going on right now and you know, people you know, cramped together on their deserted island that maybe they've always wanted like you did, right? <laughs> what can people do? You know, they're, they're sitting at home, you know, they're two kids running around the house, beating themselves up with little swords. And you know, what, what, what can you know, partners do 
in that situation to keep the love of life and keep themselves from you know, constantly fighting and arguing? Well, one of the things I actually, I have a newsletter and I just, my daughter wrote something for it. She's actually an attorney, not a writer, but she is home with her kids and she created something called the Corona calendar. So one thing that we know is very, and if anyone wants it, they can email me, I'll send it to her. But one of the things that we know is that people do better when they have a schedule, that we all need that with kids, creating a schedule of what to of something every day to do and um she and, and and in the schedule she created for example she has some time some exercise besides the schoolwork every day she is asking her kids to reach out and connect with somebody they haven't talked to in a while a family member a friend um to do 10 minutes or 15 minutes of meditation or chanting or journaling but a, but schedules as when we're locked in like this are really really important because they give us a sense of well-being and purpose during the day and i think that's also really really important for kids that they have that they're not because otherwise they'll be on their screens all day and that will make their energy just explode so that's the first thing i'd say is create a schedule you all agree on that has a lot of time where people are doing things on their own um number two is I just had I just had a, a session with a couple before I talked to you who are they're great and they're you know they've got a really good relationship but they're very different and one of them was struggling because she needed time to do her work and the other person her partner was wanting lots of time to connect and they were clashing with each other because the person who was managing their stress about what's going on was doing it by focusing on their work all the time. And the other person wanted constant reinsurance and touch and eye gazing, and they were driving each other crazy. And we actually made a schedule for that. We made, they, they came up with, I helped them come up with it, that the person who was, who could do the work 24 seven agreed that every two hours they'd spend just one minute, just, either touching without words or giving a hug or saying, how's it going? Um, or giving a quick appreciation, one or two minutes, every two to three hours is what we agreed on. And the other person agreed that the rest of the time they would leave them alone and know that they were managing stress by not connecting, connecting with their computer. And that they were, so what they, we did is we created a bridge between the two people. And the bridge is based on this very important recognition. You're not me. You're not me. What's going to calm you down is getting lost in your work. Or my husband is retired now. He's a painter. And he gets, he'll spend 15 hours on a watercolor. And now he isn't thinking about what's going on in the world. Where I'm looking all the time at the news. But how do we work that out? Because I want connection with him. So we, we find a way by kind of crossing a bridge to understand that the other person is not us and how can we give them what they need. If I'm saying to you, here's what I need, and you're saying to me, here's what I need, then we're having a power struggle. But if I say, what is it you need from me today? And we can do this with kids too. What is it you need from me today to make the day go better? 
and they say, I need you to give me three hours of uninterrupted, uninterrupted time. I can do that. Or if I say, I need at least four hugs during the day, you can probably do that. So it doesn't become a fight. It becomes expressing our wishes and extending our generosity in very practical ways, I might say. So is that making sense to you? Yes, that is so interesting because it goes back to this concept of knowing yourself, right? It comes back to self-awareness and understanding what are my needs, right? What am I looking for from my partner, right? What, what am I trying to get from that person? And then articulating that to that person so they can actually meet that need, right? And it sounds That's like right. there, there's this huge process of you know, understanding myself, but then also my partner, right? Or my partner needs to understand themselves first and then share that with me and articulate you know, this is what I'm looking for. This is how I feel loved. This is how you yes. can show me I matter to you and all of these things. And so it seems like this, it's this, this really interaction and conversation that you need to have with your partner. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this applies to any relationship in our lives, right? To our family, yes. to our yes. friends, like understand what you need from that relationship, what you're trying to get out of that and understanding what the other person is trying to get out of that, I think is so key to making that relationship successful. I do too. I think it's absolutely key because it's, it's part, you know, the number one quality, uh, the University of Virginia did a study and the study was what's the most important thing in a, in a long-term relationship, what quality they actually thought it was lots of sex, but actually that's not what it came out as the most important quality is generosity. And of course, wow. good sex has generosity in it, but generosity is where I see you and I see you're not me and I can extend for your sake. Now, if one person is doing that hundred percent, that's not going to work. But if we're both working on our generosity to make space for the other person to know that you need something different than I do and that we can come out of this time as more wholehearted people, we don't have to come out of it as more stressed. We can come out of it. It can bring out the best of us as much as the worst. But if we leave it up to our own ego and we leave it up to what our spontaneous reactive reactions and reactivity is, it's gonna bring out the worst. But if we set intention and say, here are the things that we can do differently. Here, I have some simple exercises in, in love skills, people checking in every day, giving an appreciation, sharing one thing about their, their day, S simple exercises that just help us connect in non-threatening ways. And if we can do this, pra these pra as, as this is a practice. This time is a practice. And I remember the story of Nelson Mandela, who said that he was in solitary by himself for all those years. What was it, maybe 12 years? I think 18 even, yeah. Hmm. 18 years. And he talked about how he learned to meditate for like short period, 15 or 20 minutes a day, and that meditation helped him rest the rest of the time. So we each have to find what it is that settles me. For me, it's work. For me, it's reading, getting lost in a book. What are those things that really help me feel like I can get into my wholehearted? My partner does the things that help him. And finding those ways to come together where we're not annoying each other. We're fighting over how that should be. If one person is saying we have to have sex all the time and the other person is saying we have to have deep conversations all the time and my way is right, then you're going to have a mess. But if you can negotiate 
that you're not me and I can give you what you need. And the other person can say, I can give you some of what you need. Then we can come out of this as stronger, more loving people. Yeah, so it sounds like a lot of this is really about finding compromises between what I need from you and what you need from me. And, and what is so, so cool about this is that most of the things that we're discussing here are so easy to start to implement, right? Everyone knows how to, you know, pay attention to your wife. Everyone knows how to give a good compliment, right? We've all done this before. It's just that maybe over time you begin to, you know, kind of forget and, and let it slide, right? But I think this right now, this, this pandemic is such a beautiful time in that it gives us the ability to reconnect with our loved ones. It gives us the ability to refocus on the things that actually matter most at a time where you know, most of life is, is sort of shut down. It gives us the ability to focus back and, you know, on your, on your relationships, on your health, on your mental health, on all of these things that sometimes, you know, maybe only, you know, sort of second, second grade kind of thing because you're so focused at work and all this stuff. I think right now is a time where you can refocus on the things that actually matter in your life. And it's such a beautiful time through that. So one of the, the things that I always love to do in the show is celebrate failure as a stepping stone to learning, to growth, to becoming a better version of ourselves. So Linda, do you have a favorite failure throughout your life? Yeah, my favorite failure is, well, not, <laughs> I, I, I would say my, my helpful failure yeah. uh, was it was a, a lot of relationships in my early life where I thought that the point of them was to fulfill me and to make me whole. And out of that failure came the, the re realization that that none was right all those years ago, that in fact, that my wholeness is as much as I love my partner and I do, and I, He's been my friend for 45 years and my partner for 35. I know that my, I know that in the end we all leave each other and that my wholeness has to come from within me. And that, that came out of believing that it didn't. So that was the lesson that, that, that all those years of painful relationships led me to. And I feel very, you know, I, I, I feel like I got the lesson. I get it. And um, it's not that I don't depend on him and sometimes get caught and wanting something from him that is going to make me feel better. But I, but I know the, the core truth is I'm responsible for my own wholeness. And I've got to do those things that lead me to it over and over again. Yeah, I love that. Such an important insight. Now we talked a lot about, you know, different strategies today that people can start applying in their lives. If you could boil it down to one thing that, you know, you would advise our listeners to take away from this conversation and start applying today, what would be that one thing? that your partner is not you and your kids are not you and what they need to get through this time may be very different than what you need to get through this time. And that has to work both ways. And so the, so what, what a person, for example, who's very emotional and has a lot of fear that it feels like there's zombies coming everywhere to get us, maybe with a partner who's very logical and knows that we just have to not touch our face. If you don't touch your face, you're not going to get it. And if you do get it, you're probably going to be okay. Those are, and a person who's logical is calmed by that. A person who's emotional isn't calmed by that. Stop getting upset with the other person for the way they are and see if that bridge of empathy can help you understand that for them, the way that they are makes total sense. So the takeaway is 
other people aren't us. And if I can extend to try to help support them and where they are. So it's like if, if I get, if I'm a person who has a lot of feeling like, oh my God, we're all going to die. This is so terrible. And my partner says, don't be so irrational. How does that work out? Then I say, oh, good. I'm being irrational. Calm down. No. But if he can just hug me and say, oh, honey, it sounds like you're really scared. I stop being irrational. And I might say, actually, that feels so good. And I'm not so scared. I just need to not touch my face. Or if he's being all logical and I attack him for that and say, well, don't you have any feeling in this? That doesn't help him get to feeling. So we've got to give each other a break for the ways we're managing this rather than try to change the other person into being like us. Yeah, absolutely love that. Now, Linda, before I ask my final question, where can listeners connect with you online? Well, my website is www.lindaacarroll. There's an A in there, lindaacarroll.com. Um, my email is lindacarroll44 at gmail.com. That's lindacarroll44 at gmail.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's called Linda Carroll Official, and I'm posting all the time all kinds of things, including a great cartoon yesterday, I might add. <laughs> so and they, can get, uh, they can get in touch with me any of those ways. Perfect. Going to link to that. Now, my final question is, what does it mean for you to max out your life? To max out my life? Uh, it means that I have, that I feel like I have used the gifts that I came to this world with. I've used them to make the world better and to make myself better.